0: they would always ask me the same question. Why in the world did you pick that topic? Well, I wasn't really worried about it until I got asked that question several times. I said, well, part of the reason I picked that topic was I know for a fact that I have preached on the notion of battling temptation a number of times. And surely I can go to my files of nearly 30 years and find something that I can knock the dust off. And you know, I did that. I went out there. I did what all good preachers do. I went and stole something from the internet. <laughs> and, and, and as I looked at that, you, you, part of the research for doing this sort of thing, is you go look and see what others have said about this. You look and see what's out there. And, and so when I did, I, I, I ran into this, you know, how do you battle temptation? Well, you run fast. You, you use the escape hatch that, that God has provided you. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has been overtaken you except such as common to man God is faithful he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it And that verse obviously when we start thinking about overcoming temptation that's a that's a critical verse right that's one that we always think about when you're tempted just don't forget that God has put that escape hatch out there for you and so then as I continue to look for things I found this outline you know, And I got to thinking about this after I went through it. How are we supposed to battle temptation? If I had asked you, before you had come tonight, to list what you would say about how we ought to battle temptation, how many of you would come up with at least three or more of those completely on your own? I think almost everybody has their hand up. And the reason is, that's the way we've always approached this subject. And I thought, Jim, if you're just going to tell them what they've already heard 78 times, just go collect the check and come back home. I need to do something different. So I got back out and I started looking again. And some of you know who Francis Chan is. Francis Chan is an evangelical minister in California, I think Simi Valley, I'm not sure. And I've read a number of his things, I've I've watched a number of his presentations, and and Even though his theology doesn't line up completely uh, with ours, uh, there are many things that we do agree on. He believes in the essentiality of baptism. He thinks that uh, you can fall from grace. I mean, there are a number of things that, that are common, and he's in a community church. But as I was looking around for things, I ran across a lesson that he had. So I watched it. It was 45 minutes long. At the end of it, I couldn't believe I'd been sitting there for 45 minutes. I was so enthralled with what he had to say. So I watched it again. And now that I've watched it almost four times, I thought, you know, he took an approach to this topic that I had not thought about before, and so I need to pl- plagiarize, I need to borrow <laughs> what, he, what he had there. And so I didn't borrow it. I stole it completely, all the way down to the illustrations. So I said, Carrie. Kerry sent me an email this morning. He said, uh, do you have any questions? I said, no, I, I'm good. And, and I'm going to present a lesson that's completely stolen. And he said, his brother Doug, who preaches, said, hey, every preacher does that. Because we all steal it from the apostles. We owe them royalties. They'd be rich guys by now. So I felt a little bit better about the fact that I had completely lifted his lesson. But here's what I want us to think about. It's that last bullet. Do we really count the cost? And as we do, do we think about temptation from eternal perspective? You know, temptations always seem to be so so in the moment kind of thing. It's a, it's a quick decision that we have to make. But do we stop long enough in this fast-paced environment? How many decisions do you make a day? And, and, and if you think about how many challenges are thrown your way and how many opportunities there are for you to, to stub your spiritual toe, we have lots of them. And so I want us to think about it that way. And instead of thinking about the fact that we need to take the escape hatch, I want us to use what was an emphasis that we're going to look at in a little bit from James chapter 1, and that is that we just simply don't need to take the bait. Don't take the bait. And so we're going to look at this from a different perspective. The, The scriptures, if you think about them, from the very beginning of the scriptures all the way to the end, it's a love story. It tells us that God created and He created man in His own image, and, and that God loved what He had done, and He rested and He sat back and He looked at it and admired it. And He was so pleased. And then you, you saw what He described about man up before the flood. He couldn't believe how corrupt man had become. But if you look at it from the Old Testament, you see that, that a big part of the Old Testament is dedicated to this notion of He was a father. And it was like a father who loves their children. And in the New Testament, we talk about Christ in the church. And we talk about how a husband loves his wife. It's a love story. It starts that way, and it's pervasive all the way through the Scripture. God so loved the world. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. Why did it happen? Because God loved us. And so it's all about love in its deepest form. And we're not talking about phileo love. We're not talking about, you know, that sort of friendship. We're not talking about some sort of erotic form of love. We're talking about the kind of love that agape truly is, and that's a sacrificial form of love. It is the deepest form. It means everything to God that he created us and he loved us. Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we're going to start. In Jeremiah chapter 2, we see, in fact, throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see a description about just how much God loved his people, the nation of Israel. We see see the description about the depth of of how much he loved them. And look at this in in Jeremiah chapter 2. He said, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah said, Here's what the word of the Lord said to me. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of His increase. All that devour Him will offend and disaster will come upon them. God says, I remember you. I remember when you were young. I remember how much we were in love. Do you remember that? Do you remember that that first love? I remember. It was long before I thought about Lisa. I remember that first love. I loved her because she was four inches taller than me and the only person who could outrun me. That's a fact. But, but, it, but it pulled at your heartstrings. And what God is saying is, you know, I, I remember what it was like when, when you went after me in the wilderness. We, we left. We went out together. You weren't sure you were doing the right thing and you followed me and I took you through the wilderness. I took you to places that you couldn't even dream of and, and areas that were so barren and destitute. It was a land that hasn't been sown. You were holiness to the Lord. Think about what that phrase says. That's how great they were. He describes them as being the first fruits of his increase. Do you know who your first fruits are? Yeah, you know. You can name your kids. And, and that's the way it was. I mean, it, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a father who loves his children. It was, it was a children who loved their father. And he says, and anybody who wants to mess with Israel, you're messing with me. And I'm going to take care of them. But notice this. Verse 5. The Lord says, What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? You feel the hurt? Can you hear it? You know, we, we had such a, such a loving, caring relationship, and what happened? Where did your where did your ancestors go how did they get this far how did we lose what we had we describe him as being a father you and I both know that there are many relationships where kids don't get along with their parents even after they become adults you and I both know that there are marriages that don't last for any number of reasons and said love that started out so strong it it got lost somewhere along the way. But look at what happens next. Jeremiah 2, verse 6 and 7 says, They did not ask, Where is the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, and led us through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land, and you made my inheritance detestable. Where's the Lord who brought us up? Who who took us on this journey? Where is it? You didn't even think about me, God says. What did I do? I, I led you through uncharted paths. I got you to where I promised I would take you. I gave you beyond anything that you could imagine. And you went in and you turned that inheritance into something detestable. That's a strong word. That's a word that means that I can't even look at it. I can't taste it. I don't want to smell it. It stinks so bad. Look at how you have ruined things. And we started in such a loving relationship. And in chapter 2, verses 11 following, he says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens. Who are in the heavens? The angels are in the heavens. The angels are appalled at what they have done. Shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Look what he said. My people have committed two sins. First, they have forsaken me who is the spring of living water. And secondly, they went out and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You people want to trade me for gods who, by the way, aren't really gods? How does that happen? The angels are are, 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 are aghast at what they have seen and heard about how the relationship with Israel has been destroyed and that God has left the one who was the, as he describes it, the spring of living water. What do they do? They turn their back on it. And they dug cisterns. Now, when you go in and you read, you find out what they did basically was they dug troughs out of wood. And guess what? Oh, by the way, the woods wouldn't, wouldn't hold water. So so they gave up the, the goodness of what God had provided them. They tried to go it on their own. They had everything. They cashed it all in for what? What were they after? They left God for that? What could possibly have been better than what God had granted them that was so great that it appalled the heavens? He says in chapter 3, I myself said how gladly I would treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father, not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. I gave you everything. I gave you everything I had. Who thought... All I wanted to do was to give you the greatest inheritance of ever. And and, that anyone could ever see. I I for sure thought that in doing that, you would at least call me father. But instead, what you've done is you've treated me like an unfaithful spouse. You have walked away from me. Do you sense his hurt? Do you see how greatly he is disturbed? In the New Testament, we have something similar to this. And you you know the passage in in Matthew chapter 23. It's where Jesus is lamenting over what he is seeing in front of him. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who would kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often that I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You are not willing. Moms, Is there ever a time when all you wanted to do was just grab your babies and hug them? When for whatever reason you got nervous, you got concerned, you got scared, and then you saw them and all you wanted to do was just wrap them up and hold them. He says, I'm like a mother hen. All I wanted to do was gather my chicks and bring them under here where there's protection for them. And you were not willing. All I wanted you to do, he says, is to love me like I loved you. But instead it says that they chose sin over God. How does that happen? How is it possible that people would consider what great things we have in God, if we truly understand that, how is it possible that we would cash all that in and walk away from that when we have everything? Well, James tells us this. He says, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away after their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives forth birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Okay, so here's what James says. How often do we view the scriptures as simply a list of all the things you're not supposed to do? Yeah, I guess that would be what sins of commission. Don't do this and don't do that. It's all those, those, uh, 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 you know, those those evil fruits, right? The works of the flesh. Don't do this and don't do this and don't. I want to suggest to you that yeah, that it's true. It is a fact. I mean, there's a number of things in scripture that tells us that we think we should avoid. I want us to think, though, that temptation is something that we have to learn to overcome. And the only way that we're going to be successful at that is we've got to understand what the nature is of this love story that we read about that we're part of now. that that, that's the bond that's going to hold us together. In the book of Jeremiah, it wasn't just the fact that they chose sin. It said that. There were two things, remember? They chose sin. They chose sin over God. They make a deliberate choice. He had already given them everything. It was up to them what they were going to do. And they made their decision. They turned and walked away from Him. That was the choice. How many people have you known? Who walk away from a perfect husband or a loving father and they cash it all in for what? How does that happen? Why does temptation work? I think that's a critical thing for us to understand. I I don't know how we can illustrate this. Doug, you got a wallet. I I have something valuable in my wallet. I'll tell you what I'll do. Have we talked about this before? You and I, have we talked about we this? Have we have not talked about this, right? This is completely new to us. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you everything in my wallet, sight unseen. You give me everything in yours. Will you make that trade? Whatever cash you've got in your wallet, I'm going to trade you what I have in mine, And you get to keep it. And so do I. You want to make that trade? All right. What you got? Uh, 25 bucks. 25 Okay, good. Here's your two. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to use this sermon again. Um, let me button it. There we go. Uh, now, why would you do that? Why does that happen? Because I've made him an offer, right? He doesn't know what it is, but it could be. I told him, I've got something of value in my wallet. And I did. And, and, and we play those odds all the time with life. If we just trade, we're, we're liable to get something so much better than what we have. That's why the lottery does so well. Today's Powerball jackpot is $250 million. So we go and we plop down a dollar, five or 10 or 20. And we do that because we dream about what it would be like if we hit that. What would we do with a hundred million, two hundred million dollars? And we have those, and you know, it's just a dollar. Or five or 10 or 20 every day. And we don't stop to think about the fact that that if I were to take that one lottery ticket and set it on the stage and I would put the pile next to it that tells me what the odds are of my winning, the 37 million tickets next to it, it wouldn't seem like such a good idea. But hey, we're after a deal, right? Look at the deal we got. We have deals all around. Look at commercials. If you haven't got my sticker on your car, you need to come see old GW today. I've got a deal for you. We're in a deal-making period, right? We're making deals. We're making deals all over the world. And people want to find something better. You know, it might be a better car. It might be a better house. It might be a better job. They might want to trade their spouse in for a newer model. I mean, people are looking for some way to make a trade. And what we do in our life every day is we make those trades constantly. I might get more. If I just turn my back on this living water thing here, just think what we could have if we build some cisterns. What happened to those cisterns? They wouldn't hold water. They were empty. James in James verse 16 says, Don't be deceived. Sin can't do this it can't fulfill it can't make you complete it's going to leave you empty you make the trade you come up 23 dollars short thanks again <laughs> I mean that, that's what sin does that's what happens to us but where does that pull come from it is so strong it is so real if i were to ask you tonight Do you love God? I dare say, essentially, every person in here would say, Oh, absolutely. Do you love Him completely? You know I do. Why would you ever turn your back on Him then? Why would you ever walk away? Why wouldn't you stay with Him on every instance? Well, it is because of what happens when you're tempted. Verse 13 says, when you're tempted, don't say that God did this. God isn't tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. God's perfect. He's light. Light has no part with darkness. He can't involve himself in this. He is not tempted. He does not tempt other people. So if you're going to say that you're going to make a trade and walk away from him because of the temptation, that temptation did not originate from him. The Greek word that is used there that means tempted actually carries with it in English two different concepts. It's translated tempted, but there's two notions of it and both of them are used in the book of James. One of the contacts in which it is used is the notion of temptation is something that comes towards you. It is objective. When you are tempted, things are hitting at you. They're being thrown at you. That's the temptation that's coming all the time. It's coming to you. The other way that temptation is used in the Greek in Scripture in James is it's something that is subjective and it comes from within you. And that's the one that's used here in James. It is temptation that is born in you. That's where it came from. That's where it started. And so if God is not the source of temptation, then where does that temptation come from? Well, let's just play the blame game. You know that. And it's not original to us. It goes way back, does it not? It started in the garden. Adam, did you eat that fruit? Lord, this woman that you gave me, You gave me this woman. She came to me and she said, Hey, you see that? You know about that? You know what it does if you eat that? Makes you like God. And God looked at Adam. What did Adam say? That woman you gave me. Eve says, Hey, it's not my fault. It was the serpent's fault. That that serpent that you created, that you put down here, it's the serpent's fault. I don't know who the serpent passed it on to. It's God's fault. He made me that way. That's that's you know that's the way we look at it so often. I, I was born with this DNA. DNA. I had this propensity. I, I had these leanings when I was born. Actually, God did this to me. That's the reason why I'm dealing with it. If you just knew how mad she makes me. It, did you see how provocatively she dressed? I just have so much stress. Do you understand addiction, how hard it is to deal with addiction? If you knew my boss, you'd know why I did what I did. What are we really after when we offer all of those types of excuses? What we're really after is somebody just to tell us, hey, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault that this happened. Now, if you've ever been pulled over by a policeman, and he says did you know you were speeding you got some options yes I did and it's my fault I was in a rush somebody called and I had to get someplace fast we start to lay off all of the reasons why we decided what we decided in verse 14 though he says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Notice, their own evil desire and enticed. The Greek word there, translated enticed, uh, is a term that is a hunting and fishing term. Literally. I mean, it's, it's the notion of an enticement. And so what we're supposed to get from that is the concept that when we are enticed... Here's what happens. Satan is dangling a hook out in front of you. Doug, does that hook look very good? No. Not particularly, does it? It doesn't look good at all. So, Doug, what I'm going to do... Ouch. (laughs) By the way, Cliff Bennett knows how much I like to fish. And I try to do it every four or five years, whether I've got time or not. All right, so, so Doug? Oh uh, no. <laughs> that got better, though, didn't it? That, that, got, that got better, didn't it? A little better. Huh? That's a little better? Aren't you? It's not. It's, it. And so that's what happens, is all day long, Satan is actually just taking. You know what this thing on the end of the hook is called, right? It's a lure, which is from the word Allurement. And so, you know, what we have to think about is all day long what he's trying to do is he's trying to find something that will speak to us. Now, Doug. That, that looks a little better. You know, Doug, if you weren't here tonight, you could be making some of this. And if you weren't here, you wouldn't have lost so much money earlier. So take that one. Take that one. No. Huh? No. It's your last chance. Uh, Alright, never mind. Okay. But, but that's what Satan does. He, he, just keeps, he just keeps sticking things out there in front of us all the time, trying to, trying to figure out what it's going to take. But you know what? You, did you see how hesitant he was? I mean, that, that, that plane hook didn't do anything for him. The, the worms didn't do anything. When I put something out there that meant something to him, all of a sudden, hey, What's happening? We're getting dangerously close. I want to suggest to you that in 2017, you, I, and especially our kids, we have a different kind of challenge in front of us. And that is that with the internet and with radio and with TV and so many things that we have, the temptations that we have coming at us all the time are constant and they are huge. And no matter where we look, they're coming at us from every possible angle. And so what Satan has figured out is that if I just if I just throw enough different things out there, surely one of these, Doug, one of these, (laughs) you know, one of those is going to work. And so that's what the enticement becomes. Figuring out what works. Knowing what's going to reach someone. And everywhere we turn, something is trying to grab our attention. And what the purpose of that is, is to turn us away from God, to distract us. Can we just walk out of this world and hide? I know there are some people who would like to do that. You can't do it. And in fact, I'm not sure that God wants us to do that. Instead, what I want to suggest to you is that we have to stay focused. When I get in the car, and I get out there on the I-24 raceway, going north toward Nashville, you know, when you get on there at at Bear Creek, it's typically not too bad. And by the time you get to the Spring Hill exit, it's starting to to pick up and then when you get to Cool Springs it just gets crazy that's where all the crazy people show up all at one time and they're going three times faster than you and then you get a little north of Cool Springs what happens it gets a little bit better and then you get to the edge of Nashville and guess what here it comes we talk a lot about distracted driving that's a stretch of road you don't need to get distracted What we've got to do is we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused on where we're going. We've got to be sure that we as Christians have fixed our eyes on Jesus who is the pioneer and the perfecter. I prefer the King James who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that whole notion of staying focused on where we're supposed to go is the beginning of what we have to do to really battle temptation. Set your minds on things on the earth. Nope. That's what we attempt to do. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's where our mindset needs to be. In Philippians 4, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and in good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, what? Think on these things. Fill your mind up. Stay focused on what is wholesome and what is true and just and lovely and the things that are going to take you to where you want to go. And we need to make sure we focus on love because it is a love story that we're all about. We can't just run from temptation. I want to suggest to you that we also have to run toward Jesus. Because what happens when we are tempted in a way that that silly hat looked is every time you turn, there's a temptation coming at you from another direction. I'm not sure how you can completely run toward all of those. But if we fix our focus on where it's supposed to be and we don't stop and we keep running, then all of those enticements, we live with them and we don't even notice them. Because they don't have our attention. That's what love does and you don't think that it works that way think about this when you're told to love your neighbor as yourself why because when you do that you cannot do anything but good for your neighbor you can't do harm to him because love won't allow you to do that god says you were my children israel didn't i do all these things for you look where i brought you from but now notice in the book of James what he tells us is that sin takes time. Temptation is not sin. That's an important thing for us to understand. We still have a choice to make. And here's how it works. He describes what happens. After desire has conceived, and you know what conception is. Uh, many of you have been a mother. You know about the fertilization of the egg. That's part of the conception process. And then that 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 fetus begins to grow, and it starts to grow, and it starts to grow. And, and, and temptation is like that. It sets in motion a series, a tray of events that are going to follow. The word sin means literally to miss the mark. How many of you are hunters? Several. And when you're, when you're hunting... You know, you, you 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 know what you're looking for, or if you're a bow hunter, or you're a target shooter, and, and and you're and you're focused on what it is that you're trying to hit, and then some distraction comes along, and you pull off. What happens? You miss the mark. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. It will cause you to take your focus. Away from where you were trying to get to, to the thing that you were trying to hit. You missed the mark because it removed. It, it it removed your attention, your focus, and placed it someplace else. James said that when sin is full grown, it leads to death. So we had conception and, and then that 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 growth process and then it's born. Sin becomes tragedy. You remember your first baby? Remember how excited you were? Yeah, all that, all that anticipation, all that joy, all of that longing. You know, uh, today we have, we have, uh, we have the wonderful things like Facebook, so we can do the reveal. I think we reveal way too much. It's a boy, or we're going to have a baby, or I'm going to be a grandparent. And then something happens. And the baby's life ends. How difficult is that? God says, you left me for what? It, it, there was you, you saw that temptation you saw that joy that excitement you got so excited about whatever it was that Satan had dangled in front of you that you pursued it and it was growing and it was going and guess what happens when that is born that sin leaves you holy. that's what sin does it leaves you empty at the end you want to make the trade You want to leave the one who loves you, who is the living water, who gives you the care, the protection, who has given you the great promises that God said He would give you the hope? What you have longed for, you would trade that for what? The only thing that we need to remember is that when we do that, all we're left with is pain. Because sin never works. And the worst thing is that that sin takes away our hope. It becomes a literal hell. You no longer have a life with any hope. He closed out this discussion in verse 16 when he said, don't be deceived. That's what sin does. It's deception. He is trying to promise you something that He cannot and will not deliver. And for whatever fleeting moment He got your attention and you went after it. He said, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, I know that we ought to be talking to those who are unchurched, who are non-believers, and we need to help them understand what sin works and and what it does and how it works. James is talking to Christians. Christians. What does that tell you? We too are vulnerable. Satan's still working on us. He's changing those things on the hook constantly. Father, I love you so much. But do you know what Satan has offered? And how good that is? And what Hebrews tells us is that those who willfully sin have separated themselves from God and as long as they continue to willful sin, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Jesus can't do anything else. He already did what He was supposed to do. God did that out of love. He gave His Son as part of that love story and now you have chosen to walk away from that. What would you choose over God? What is it that's so great that you would cash that in? Now let me tell you what happens when you fish. You get out there, and you put your bait out there, and all of a sudden you, you feel something. You, you, you feel something pop at it. And you, and you wake up out of that stupor you've been sitting in. And, and, and then you begin to see, or if you've got that bobber, you see the one little, and you see it real fast. And then finally, that fish jumps out there and grabs that hook and pulls it. And what do you do? You set the hook. You hear people talk about the one that got away. That happens all the time because they didn't get the hook set. Some have had the hook set. The temptation was too much. It had too much to offer. He says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters about what sin really is and what it offers you, and there's still, and likely some here tonight who uh, you're just pecking. You're just getting up close enough to see if you can smell what the bait is like. And then they're getting really fancy with. I mean, you got bait now that looks like real fish, and you know you can get it, and you can put stuff on it to make it smell like something that the fish would like. I saw one the other day that's got a lure that when you drop it in the water, it begins to send out a little sonar to let the other fish, hey, come notice me. we got people that uh, play with sin that way let me, let me go check this out let me see what this is like I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm strong I, this isn't going to happen to me something's pulling at your heart now, I don't know what it is you know what it is God knows what it is but worse than that, Satan knows that's what we have to think about never turn your back on God remember it's a love story God says that He will never leave you. So when He laments, Israel, where did you go? Did they ask, where is my father? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So what happens with that sin? You turn away from God. You make the trade. You trade Him for something else. I want us to remember that no matter what, no matter what is offered to you, nothing is ever as good as God and it's not even close we can't make the trade that's why the angels were appalled you left God for what the best way to battle temptation stay focused swim away from the bait don't take it never forget the love story never forget how much you're loved never forget the commitment that you made to God because you love him that much I tell folks all the time that I think the reason why I became a Christian initially was I was scared. I didn't want to go to hell. But I want to tell you that if that's the only motivation I ever have for remaining faithful, I think I've missed something. That Somewhere along the way, that fear needs to give way to love. And that love needs to be that we admire God so much for what He did that we do not want to displease Him in any way whatsoever. And no matter what is dangled in front of us, it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to look right past it. Folks, I want to go to heaven. I want you to go too. How about we take some others with us? Let's bow together. Holy Father and God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here. Help us, Father, to know how to deal with temptation. Help us to be prepared. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much, that you gave us things that we can't even envision, that that the hope that you've set out in front of us is something that motivates us through difficult times in our life. Father, help us to be faithful unto death and until death. And help us to know how that we can arrive and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And when that happens, may we have the hand of others that we have taken with us along the way. Bless us. Bless us as we battle every day. May your goodness and kindness fill our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.